Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, December 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, can Mississippi's universities afford to keep students safe? Find out why some institutions do not want to leave another legislative session empty-handed. Then, on Everyday Tech, tools that can help you and your family stay healthy and safe. And hear from the Mississippi mother who's founded the only nationally recognized rare disease foundation. Why time is critical for her daughter and the lives of other children. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's eight public universities could face critical issues due to continued delay in repairs. That's according to Higher Education Commissioner Glenn Boyce. This after concerns about a recent boiler issue and carbon monoxide leak at Mississippi University for Women that caused a dormitory to be evacuated. During the last session, legislators didn't offer universities any bond funding for maintenance requests. Officials at MUW say they're requesting funds once again for an up Update to their fire alarm system. Nora Miller is senior vice president and CFO at the Mississippi University for Women. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more about the events on campus. Uh, smell of natural gas was detected. Um, as it turns out, there was uh, carbon monoxide issues. An alarm was sounded to clear and evacuate the residence hall. We had some students who were exhibiting complications or medical distress due to the carbon monoxide. We had them treated at the local hospital. 41 students in all um, over the last couple of days have sought medical attention. All of those have been released. Since then, we have put the students up in uh, local hotels with staff that was waiting along with them. We had mechanical engineer come in. We had two different service providers come in and inspect um, the boilers, making some necessary repairs. And we have installed carbon monoxide detection in all of the residence halls. We have had several retests since then after making some adjustments to the boiler. Since then, there has been a carbon monoxide level of zero um, in that residence hall. So we've gotten through that phase, and um, now we're doing uh, some other assessments to determine any more permanent fixes um, and how we can address this systemically to make sure something like this never happens again. Can you talk about specifically what are some of those R&R projects that funds from bond bills or just a general fund could help on campus? Um, 
one thing is uh, the updating of some of the fire panels in our buildings, and that's where uh, the carbon monoxide detection, you know, expanding our existing fire panels to to address that. That's one of the things that we have on the list. We also have um, our electrical power grid um, here on campus. I'm not an engineer, so I'm not going to be able to address this in all the right terminology, whatever. But, you know, the infrastructure here for electricity was not built for the number of devices that students bring to campus. It wasn't for the computer labs and some of the equipment that we use now. And we're at the point where we need to upgrade um, our electrical delivery system here on campus. That's a major part of um, what our request is for this this coming year and these R&R projects. So with like you mentioned the fire panels and the roofing and all those R&R things, they haven't been taken care of to this point because there needs to be more money. Well, that's the whole thing. Deferred maintenance is just the things, you know, we address, I think I gave you kind of the priority list of where we come up with in planning. You know, we look at life safety issues. We look at what's needed for academic programming and for student programming. Then we look at infrastructure, you know, energy efficiency, and we go all the way down and then we come to aesthetics. Well, we build this huge list of everything that needs to be done, and we'll make a plan to start addressing some things, and then something breaks, and then your resources, you know, it's just like your household budget. You can have a budget plan for whatever, but something happens, and then that's where the money goes. Thank you again. Sure. Thank Mm you. MUW CFO Nora Miller with our Ashley Norwood. President William Bynum at Jackson State University says there's a shortage of housing for male students. JSU is requesting funds to renovate and reopen a residence hall they say hasn't been renovated since its construction in 1961. Glenn Boyce is Commissioner of Higher Education at the Institutions of Higher Learning. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood, though equipment failures are not uncommon, maintenance is necessary on all campuses. With any equipment, uh, in some cases, even brand new equipment, certainly mechanical equipment can break down and do things that uh, no amount of maintenance would would assist uh, and and fix. But I will say this, uh, we have a huge amount of deferred maintenance on our campus. And uh, our campuses absolutely need the kind of uh, R&R, what we call R&R money, repair and renovations type monies, that helps us in bond monies uh, to helps us make sure that this deferred maintenance is taken care of for our facilities to ensure that our facilities are always safe and always ADA compliant and all the critical things that are necessary for our students to be comfortable, feel safe, have nice looking campuses and be a campuses that are warm and attractive and inviting for all of our constituents and the public. The board had approved the request for the 2018 session People are wanting new buildings, but theirs was very general. What's your response to that? You've got some campuses that are are actually, as campuses go, relatively new. Uh, And other campuses that are older campuses that have been around for a much longer time. And also some of those campuses throughout the years haven't really built a lot of new buildings where other campuses have. What they've done throughout their history in many cases is repurpose a lot of facilities and keep older facilities online. And the more that you attempt to keep an older facility online, oftentimes the more maintenance it requires. And in some cases, you have to adapt new equipment to older maintenance requirements and things of that nature that uh, sometimes can be challenging. And it requires funding 
to support those kind of efforts. There's no question about that. The issue for us really is is that these bonds that we request are so important for us to keep our facilities once again safe and for our facilities to be modernized as as students would require in today's day and age, especially with technology needs and other things that students expect in order to achieve at the highest levels and to attain the degrees. And so it's all an integral part of the student experience and the success of our students, which inevitably leads to the success of our state. So these are very, very important issues for us, and we hope as we're presenting a two-year bond plan for this upcoming year that we can get a two-year bond plan through the legislature very quickly. It would support efforts like the W would have to maintain and keep online older facilities at a level that's absolutely necessary for students. Thank you so much, Commissioner Boyce. Thanks, Ashley. This year, universities are requesting a little over $512 million to fund maintenance and construction projects in the coming year. Democratic Representative Gregory Holloway is vice chair for the House, uh, House Universities and Colleges Committee. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood why a proposed bond bill wasn't approved last year. Basically, there was a problem with the House and the Senate that could not compromise on a bond bill So, therefore, uh, there was not a bond bill. But I think that there will be a bond bill this year, and I think that we will uh, look at those serious issues on those colleges and uh, universities' campuses. So did you know about the incident that occurred at MUW? Yeah, I was made aware of it, and I saw it on the news, which is very critical and must be addressed immediately. And so I, I can tell you that, The state of Mississippi is committed to these colleges and universities, and so I'm sure that uh, that would be addressed. Have there already been conversations just in terms of how the um, House plans to prioritize making space for dollars to assist universities going into the next session? Well, there are several ways to uh, fund projects at colleges and universities. Projects can also be funded through the appropriations process. It just depends on how the leadership plans to deal with that particular issue. So it can be funded through a bond bill or it can be done through regular appropriations process. If there's a public safety issue for kids at any university uh, in the state of Mississippi, the leadership in this state is committed to taking care of those uh, safety issues for students at at these uh, uh, universities. Thank you again. Um, Anytime, Ashley. Appropriation Committee Chairman in the Senate and House could not be reached for comment. In other news, a new state-of-the-art facility is going up adjacent to Mississippi's only children's hospital. As MPB's Desiree Frazier reports, the new facility will improve medical care and bring jobs. Three, two, Children join Governor Phil Bryant, Joe Sanderson of Sanderson Farms, and Luann Woodward, head of University of Mississippi Medical Center, for a groundbreaking ceremony at Batson Children's Hospital in Jackson. Built in 1997, it's the only children's hospital in the state. Now work will begin on a state-of-the-art 340,000-square-foot children's tower next door. Woodward says the upgrades include operating rooms, intensive care units, and imaging services specifically for pediatric patients. What it will mean for the children is that they do not have to leave the state to be at a premier 
Children's Hospital. And for the state and for the city of Jackson, it should really be a point of pride. UMMC's Dr. Mary Taylor says the need to upgrade and expand services is great. We see probably about 90,000 children a year. We have about 45,000 or so visits to the emergency department, for example, every year. We have about 1,700 or so admissions to the intensive care unit. The new facility will cost $180 million. Joe Sanderson of Sanderson Farms is co-chairing the fundraising effort with his wife. The goal is $100 million. Sanderson talks about the need for more staff. Yes, there'll be more nurses and more doctors and more people working in the hospital. It's going to double the size of a children's hospital. Sanderson says they've raised just over $60 million so far. The facility is scheduled to open in the summer of 2020. Desiree Frazier. MPB News. Coming up in our Everyday Tech segment, find out how technology can help you stay safe and healthy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Here's a great tip to clear the clutter going into the holidays. If you've got an extra car you no longer need, or if you recently upgraded your car and don't want the hassle of selling your old one, we have a solution. You can donate it to MPB. You can submit your donation up until midnight December 31st to qualify for a tax deduction. And if that car's gotten too expensive to repair just to get it there, well, come pick it up. Go by mpbonline.org and donate your car, truck, boat, RV, or motorcycle to MPB. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Couture, and today we're discussing technology that can help you and your family stay safe and healthy. So, Wilts, there are so many opportunities for us to gather with family and friends, but how does technology play a role to ensure we stay healthy and safe during those times? Well, we've all been together at uh, different holidays, different family events, birthdays, anniversaries, and such. And you get a whole bunch of different people in the same area. And one of the worst things we could imagine happening would be a medical emergency, be it someone having a crisis with blood sugar or blood pressure or, heaven forbid, say a choking or an allergic reaction to maybe a food ingredient or something like that. So there are so many tools that are available for us to actually have at our home now, such as those for blood sugar monitoring or blood pressure cuffs or even nebulizers and some of those different devices. And we can't forget things such as an EpiPen when it comes to an allergic reaction. And then just having the simple knowledge of how to do things like CPR or a Heimlich maneuver. So there's a lot of technology we can have there, and we need to make sure that we're thinking of these things because during these holiday gatherings, unless you have a doctor, nurse, or a paramedic coming to your gathering, you've got to be that first responder that's in there. So so making sure that you have those is really important. So in emergency situations, what are some ways technology can help? Well, I think the first thing that comes to a lot of folks' minds is, of course, the 911 system. We know that's very important. And with some of the advances in our cellular technology, we're no longer limited to the landline at the house. But 911 calling from your cell phone can actually give those emergency dispatchers GPS information to locate you. So that's always your first line of defense. But there's a lot of other technology tools that are out there. I've seen a lot of home alarm systems that will actually have a fire and a medical alert button on them that simply pressing those buttons can actually automatically dial out and reach out to to get help coming. We can't forget about things such as the life alert system, especially if you have those who may be prone to um, falls and slips and other things such as that. 
those are invaluable tools to making sure that help can be on the way. It goes the same way, you know, if if you're out and about. We, I've seen those used even for kids um, to allow it to be able to locate them. And here's a really interesting thing that some folks might know is that and that is that even if you have an old cell phone that no longer has services, one of the rules is that phone, even if it doesn't have service, can still actually reach 911. So even if you have a young child and you're not ready to give them a new phone yet, you can always give them your old phone and they still have access to 911 and they can actually reach out there and the GPS of that phone can actually help them out. Speaking of being mobile, are there any apps available that can keep us healthy and safe? Oh, there's definitely quite a few of them. I particularly like the health apps that are built in that are allowing people to keep track of their blood pressure, and you can actually trend things with that. There are also some that will keep you safe if you're out maybe running, walking, jogging, what have you, to make sure that you stay on track. Technology plays a rather significant role in keeping us all healthy and safe and providing us with access to a level of care that, you know, in the past would have required a pretty long stay in a hospital. So whether we're talking about an app that you can actually have available to help you to get information or to monitor your own health, or if it's a device that you have at your home in order to put into the medicine cabinet to take care of yourself, when you're thinking about getting together with family and friends, for one, if you're traveling, you want to make sure you bring those devices you need with you. And also, if you have guests coming to your home, think about making sure that you have things available to ensure that they stay safe. Because, unfortunately, accidents happen. It could be a cooking accident. It could be an allergy. It could be so many different things. And what we don't want to do is be stuck without the information and the tools we need to make sure that we stay happy, healthy, and safe. We will talk more about technology for your health and safety on Everyday Tech. The show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Contraire, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In Mississippi, one in 10 people have a rare condition. That's according to Amber Olson, founder of the United MSD Foundation. She estimates that's over 400,000 children and adults looking for care. Olson is raising awareness and funds in hopes of helping her daughter, Willow, who was diagnosed with multiple sulfate deficiency on M- or MSD, a terminal genetic condition. The National Organization for Rare Diseases estimates nearly 30 million people are facing rare diseases like Willow. Olson tells us the reality of a rare disease has connected her globally to a movement to save the lives of children. Willow was born normal. She was 8 pounds, um, 2013, our surprise baby. And everything was fine until between a year and 18 months, every time we went to the pediatrician's office and put in her milestones, she was a little slower than our other kids and then and the baseline. So we started to be a little bit concerned, but she had a lot of ear infections and um, her adenoids were swollen or tonsils were swollen, so they thought it had to do with hearing. So they put ear tubes in her ears, and then and when she turned two, they 
had her adenoids removed. And then two, three weeks later, I went back to the pediatrician and I was like, there's still something wrong. She wasn't talking. She was slow to walk, slow to do a lot of the motor skills, fine motor skills. And she was also very small. So she, even though she was born in eight pounds, she had not grown percentage-wise on the scale and she was like 0% on the growth chart. So all of that combined together, we became concerned. So the pediatrician referred us to a neurologist, and then the neurologist actually did genetic testing. And the, the panel that he did detected for deletions. She was diagnosed with multiple sulfatase deficiencies. Explain what a deletion is. Everybody has... 25,000 genes, and most people have five, like around five or 10 bad genes. And so it's a part of the gene that's missing. My husband has a deletion, and I have what's called a mutation on the same gene. So it's very rare that you marry somebody who has something wrong with the same gene. What is Willow's prognosis? Basically, her body is breaking down, and many don't live to five. Most don't live to 10 years of age. How do you respond to that? This is a daughter. This is your daughter that you adore. Yeah, I mean, it was devastating. I mean, we we had Googled it, and we knew what it was before he said she had it, and I mean, I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. I can, you know, it was just the worst, worst possible news because not only is she going to pass away, but she's going to have a very painful, long period of time where she's going to be in pain. Is she in pain now? She is not. So she started regressing last year. She was running and walking in December. She can't hold herself up now and she can't swallow and she has a feeding tube, um, but she is not in pain. How many people or how many children have this disease? Worldwide, uh, we know of about 50. I have heard that once you get a clinical trial, that number jumps tenfold. So I imagine there's probably 500 children in the world. They just are misdiagnosed or they pass away before they make it on the radar. You have taken your grief and your fears and put them to good use. Tell us about the foundation you founded. When she was diagnosed, we met another family that's in Ireland. Their son, Dylan, has the same condition, and he had been diagnosed a year before. And that dad had uh, found a doctor who had done, figured out what was going on in the body. They know exactly what the gene is. They'd actually done some initial what we call bench research where they figured out how to um, treat a mouse. And so he told me, he's like, we just need time and money. So... I started to fundraise, and so we started a foundation to fund research to create a treatment. It's not a matter of if it can be figured out, it's just funding it, which was incredible to me. I didn't understand that that was going on. The gentleman in Ireland said it's going to take a lot of money. How much money? We're looking at around 2 to $3 million to be able to fund one of the research treatments that we're looking at is gene therapy, so we're almost to a million. And we have other families because of what we're doing. We have a family in Argentina that started fundraising, and we have a family in the U.K. that's fundraising. What would you like our listeners to know? In Mississippi, you know, there's probably over 400,000 people that have a rare condition. That's adults and children. It's one in 10 people have a rare condition. It's not a small amount. Um, and if you look at the caregivers and the educators and the people that surround them, it's like a million people that are affected. So this is just a, it's a huge epidemic problem. And when we started our foundation, it was for Willow. Um, it's opened up to now we're trying to help these children that have MSD. But there's a bigger problem here. And while each rare disease only affects a small amount of people, you know, if you were to put all the people that have rare disease in one country, it would be the third largest country in the world. 
So I'm hoping that we can gather together, and we're part of the National Organization of Rare Diseases, NORD. They have what's called a Rare Action Network, and you can go online, and, and people that have rare conditions or their caregivers can submit their information if they're interested in being, being a part of this so that we can impact at the state level and at the federal level, level to say, you know, enough is enough. We, you know, we've got to work together to get these treatments bring to these children. Amber, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story. Thank you. The United MSD Foundation is currently the only patient advocacy group registered with NORD in the entire state of Mississippi. To learn more about the United MSD Foundation, visit unitedmsdfoundation.org. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.